welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Christopher Gimmer, the co-founder and CEO of Snapper, a SaaS product that makes it easy to create online graphics in your browser. Before launching Snapper, Christopher and his co-founder, Mark, built a student-only dating website. Although they got some early traction, the business quickly failed. Later, they built a website to help people find royalty-free images online. They started blogging, which helped them get traffic and slowly build an email list. But they noticed that it was a pain for them to create images for their blog posts. They sucked at using Photoshop and weren't designers. They just wanted a simple tool to do the job. So one day they emailed their list to find out if they had the same problem. And it turns out that a lot of people did. So they decided to build a tool to solve that problem. And that's how Snapper was born. In this episode, you'll learn the full story of how they went from a failed startup to launching Snapper, some critical lessons they learned about doing customer development right, a simple but powerful SEO strategy they used to get consistent traffic, and how they went from zero to over $45,000 in monthly recurring revenue. I hope you enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Chris, are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. 
With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I always like to ask my guests what gets them out of bed. If they have a favorite quote or in your own words, you want to just share with us what kind of motivates you to work on your business every day? I'm not a huge quotes guy, but one of the things I kind of live by is this idea of consistent execution. I find that, you know, when you're working on stuff every day or day in and day out, and then you kind of look back three years, you realize how much progress you can make if you just keep at it on a daily basis. That's something that I I try to do where, you know, every day I just try to work on stuff that I I think will move the, the needle long term. So we're going to talk about uh, a number of businesses that you've worked on, but uh, obviously your current one is Snapper. So can you tell our listeners, what does the product do? What problem are you trying to solve and for who? Snapper is a software product that basically helps non-designers create online graphics. Um, And it's really geared towards uh, marketers, small business owners, people that need to create frequent graphics for social media, content marketing, Facebook ads, and stuff like that. And uh, they don't have the resources to hire a full-time designer. Um, and so they, they use their software to be able to do that really easily. Let's go back to the first startup you built, which was called what? Classmate Catch? <laughs> that, that was the first thing we ever did, yeah. So tell me about that. Like, what was that? How did you kind of start working on that business? Yeah, so I was working at the government at the time, and I had met uh, Mark, who's who's my co-founder of Snappa. We've pretty much been wor- working on stuff uh, for the last several years. And he was doing some development on the side and just kind of working on some side projects. And when I saw what he can do, Code-wise, I thought, wow, this is this is awesome. It, you know, we we should totally team up and, and launch a business together because we were kind of both essentially tired of the nine to five corporate type of gig, and so we kind of had aspirations of of starting up our own thing. I don't even remember <laughs> exactly uh, why we we out of all things we chose the student dating website, but at the time, you know, plenty of fish was was really popular. This is way before Tinder had come out. And, you know, thinking back to kind of Facebook, how they started out with only allowing university students to use the, their platform, we kind of thought it'd be a cool idea to create this dating site where you needed a, a student email to sign up. So we, we ended up launching that and we're, we, we live in Ottawa, Canada. And so we put it out to the, the three schools, uh, u- university and colleges that we have here. That was the the first thing that we we had ever launched. So, how big did that business get? We we ended up getting about uh, over a thousand users between the the, the three schools, um, but we had a lot of issues uh, scaling beyond our local universities. At that time, I really had no 
background or knowledge of internet marketing. So the only thing we were really doing marketing wise was like flyering and old school marketing tactics. And so when it came to scaling outside of our local city, it became a big challenge. Ultimately, why it didn't work out was we hadn't raised any money. So we didn't have nearly enough people on the site to make money off of ads. And we didn't have nearly enough traction to warrant uh, raising money. So we were kind of stuck in this bad spot where we didn't really have any money to grow the site and and we didn't have enough uh, good metrics to raise money. And to be honest, we just didn't really know what we were, <laughs> we were doing, if, uh, if I could be completely honest. What was the biggest lesson you took away from that experience? Number one, I needed to figure out how to actually market a business. And the second thing was there are certain types of businesses that you just have to raise money for. And there's, you know, for us, like to be an ad supported business, you need a ton of users. And so that's not something that we really thought out too well. Um, And so we realized that if we're if we're going to bootstrap a business, uh, it has to be something where we're making reasonable money from day one that we could actually support ourselves and, and reinvest back into the business. Okay, and then the next thing that you guys started to work on was a product called Bootstrap Bay. So tell me about what that was and, and how you came up with the idea for that. So after the, the whole Classmate Catch experience happened, um, that's when I really started to do a lot of reading, a lot of blogs and listening to a lot of podcasts and kind of figure out this whole online business uh, type of stuff. And and one of the things that I, I thought w- was really fascinating was this whole concept of keyword research. Um, and so I thought it, it was pretty cool that, you know, you can see exactly how much search volume different keywords are generating. And I think at, at this time, I had read some ultimate guide to drop shipping. And I thought that could be a, a cool business to start. And so we were actually trying to find keywords to start a drop shipping business. And then somehow Mark had stumbled across Bootstrap themes and and Bootstrap templates. It was a new framework at the time. We were doing some bit of web design on the side just to make some extra money. And we realized there was a ton of search volume for Bootstrap themes, but there wasn't a ton of websites or, or competition dedicated towards these types of themes. And so, you know, we thought that if, if we can create our own marketplace, uh, that, that could be a, a, a decent business to start. And how, how did you go about building the product and, and kind of getting the word out about it? Mark basically built the product from scratch. Um, I think nowadays there's you, you could probably <laughs> create a site like the same site with WordPress and a, and a couple plugins. But uh, it was, you know, we basically did it from scratch. So as with all marketplaces that, you know, you always have that chicken and egg problem in the beginning. And so our goal from the start was to get enough supply on the website. And so one thing we did was we actually created the first handful of themes ourselves, but we kind of made it look as though it was created by other theme authors because it kind of would have looked silly (laughs) if we had a marketplace and we were the only ones that, that had created the themes for it. And then essentially what we did was we just cold emailed any kind of theme author that we could and try to sell them on the fact that, you know, we're launching this new uh, marketplace, getting on marketplaces early could, could be really beneficial if you generate some uh, sales and, and credibility on the site. And so 
if I remember correctly, we were able to get about 10 to 15 themes uh, from day one when we first started. And then we noticed that because Bootstrap was a, a new framework, there wasn't a lot of blog content and, and people writing about it. So we actually just wrote a lot of tutorials and content about the Bootstrap framework. And we found that because we were able to uh, get a lot of backlinks and rank for some of this content, it then ended up increasing the domain authority of our site. And then we were able to rank for terms like like our money keywords, like Bootstrap themes and, and Bootstrap templates. And then once we started ranking for Bootstrap templates and Bootstrap themes on the first page of Google, that's when we really started to see the sales come in. And you know that took about uh, at least three to six months before we started to see meaningful sales. And how big did that business get before you moved on to something else? Yeah, so at its peak, um, before we sold it, it was doing about 10K uh, per month. Um, now, mind you, we had to pay out about half of that to uh, the, the theme creators on our site. So, you know, profit-wise, it was, it was doing about 5K a month. So for us, it was pretty life-changing in the sense that it was the first business we had created where it was actually, you know, making money and, and strangers were, were paying us money over the internet. And I actually ended up taking a year of absence from my job because I, I figured if, if we can do this uh, just on nights and weekends, if we spent a year trying to do something, we, we could probably uh, figure it out and, and grow beyond that. And why did you decide to sell that business? We ended up selling it because um, essentially we had started Snappa. And so I'm sure we can get into the whole story. But the issue with Bootstrap Bay was we weren't the first marketplace. Um, we're, we're kind of the, the second dedicated one that started. And also Theme Forest, which was the biggest themes marketplace in the world, they caught on to the fact that there was a lot of demand and search volume for Bootstrap templates in particular. So they ended up creating kind of their their own section for for bootstrap templates, and then they started ranking. And so we knew for us, it was just going to be a huge uphill battle to compete with Theme Forest and Rat Bootstrap, who was the other player at the time. We got as far as we could with SEO and, and not having to put any of our own money in the site. And at that time, we kind of started looking at other opportunities and specifically in the software space, because uh, that was really the the business model that we started gravitating towards. How much did you sell Bootstrap Bay for? It wasn't very big. It was about low low five figures. A decent chunk of change, but nothing, certainly nothing to retire off of. When we sold that site, Snappa was kind of on its way. And so for us, it wasn't even really the money. It was just to get it off her plate and not have to spend any uh, mental energy on it. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to figure out the sort of the the sequence of events here because I want to get onto talking about Snapper because really that's kind of like the SaaS business and we want to kind of dig into that. But there was also another business that you worked on which was called StockSnap. When did that come about in this story? While we were working on Bootstrap A, um, like I'd mentioned, you know, content marketing was a, was a really good channel for us. Um, and so I was on Reddit one day and someone had put a, uh, a list of all these free stock photos. Um, and this is kind of when 
Creative Commons was becoming a thing and, you know, everyone was starting these websites where they're giving away seven free photos every seven days. And the the thread blew up. It had like 400 upvotes or something like that. And so I thought, huh, this is really interesting. I haven't heard a lot of these sites and got a good response. So essentially, I just created a, a blog post on the Bootstrap Bay blog. It was super comprehensive. I uh, listed out all of these kind of new free stock photo sites and, you know, try to make it a, a really good comprehensive blog post. And so when I ended up promoting it on the various channels, out of all places, it went viral on StumbleUpon. Uh, I'm not even sure if <laughs> that site is still going strong. But and then next thing you know, we, we started ranking on the first page of Google for free stock photos. And so we thought that you know, a lot of these uh, or a lot of the sites at the time, none of them had any search functionality and you couldn't sort or filter through anything. So it was kind of a pain that uh, you had to kind of scour, you know, these 10 or 15 different resources and and you couldn't search for anything. So we thought it would be awesome to do a a free stock photo site, you know, releasing everything under Creative Commons that actually had some search functionality to it. And so that gave us the idea to create a stock snap and uh, because we already had a, a blog post that was ranking for free stock photos, we we just inserted our own site into the list and, and started building traffic to it right away. And you ended up selling that business as well? So kind of one thing I, I forgot to mention was um, while I was working on Bootstrap Bay, doing a lot of the content marketing, I found it a, a struggle whenever I needed to create images uh, for, for the blog content. And that's kind of where we had this original idea that it would be awesome if we had a software product that would integrate with all of these free stock photo sites and then um, with drag and drop easily be able to add text and, and graphics and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of where we, we thought that it would, it would be a great idea to build StockSnap because we could then use that that website to drive leads into the software product. That was kind of also one of the, the big motivations for us to build StockSnap and, and have uh, a lead generation into our main software product. So you're asking how much we sold StockSnap for? Yeah. 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 Um, I can't disclose uh, amounts uh, because of uh, NDA, but it was uh, for us, it was quite a, a sizable acquisition. You know, StockSnap was a, a really key ingredient to us for launching Snappa, but we've now been running that for three years. And so as we've built up our, our SEO and, and content marketing and all this other stuff, it started to become a, a lower a lower percentage of the, the leads that we were driving. As with anything, it, the site did require some maintenance and, and we had to spend some resources on it to kind of keep growing the site and, and keep feeding the site. And so when the acquirer came on uh, and gave us the offer, it definitely made sense for us to sell it because, you know, even when we kind of factored in the, the leads that it was generating for us, uh, the acquisition price uh, more than, than offset that over the long term. And both these businesses, Bootstrap Bay and StockSnap that you sold, did you go out looking to sell them or were you approached by people who were interested in acquiring them? StockSnap... We were approached by the acquirer. We didn't uh, seek them out. Bootstrap Bay was actually funny because we really actually wanted to sell that. We just, for whatever reason, hadn't really actively gone out. But so the person that bought it 
they're the owners of Creative Tim, um, and they basically create their own set of bootstrap themes and they have uh, UI kits and stuff like that. And we had become friends. And so he messaged me and he kind of noticed that we were neglecting the site quite a bit. And he said, and he was basically asking me what, what my plans were for bootstrap Bay. And I said, well, to be completely honest, we're just putting it on autopilot. Are, are you, why are you interested in buying it? And then, uh, so we, we had worked out a deal from there. Got it. Okay, so let's get on to Snapper. So you you saw the opportunity for a product like this, but building this kind of functionality in a browser is not the easiest thing to do. How did you guys get started and, and how did you sort of figure out what you were going to build? Because potentially you could kind of set out a goal and say, hey, we want to kind of build Photoshop in the browser, right? And spend years doing that. What was the conversation that you and Mark had and how did you figure out what was the right product to kind of ship with? Yeah, so, um, you know, in order not to make the same mistakes with with Classmate Catch, we really wanted to make sure that if we're going to spend several months, uh, as you've lead, alluded to, it's not an easy thing to build. We, we wanted some reasonable assurance that people were going to want this product. And so the first thing I did was I sent out a short survey to the people that were subscribed to uh, StockSnap uh, or StockSnap newsletter. And essentially, I wanted to get a sense of what they were using the stock photos for and also kind of what their job titles were. And so I realized that sure enough, a, a decent percentage of the people that were coming on our free stock photo site were indeed social media marketers, content marketers, business owners who needed these stock photos for, you know, marketing and, and business purposes. And then what I did did after that was um, for the people who who responded that, you know, they were using it for content marketing and social media, I asked uh, if they were willing to do a quick uh, Skype interview. And essentially, I wanted to figure out, did they have the same problem as me? <laughs> and so once I, I had about 15 conversations, it, it, it did become apparent that a lot of these people had similar pain points where if they did have in-house designers or if they were using, you know, Fiverr, for example, it just took a long time to kind of coordinate with the designer. And um, it took too long to make revisions when, you know, they needed to pump out a quick graphic for Twitter. And then also the people that were using Photoshop or or some of these other browser-based tools that they just found it overwhelming and, and too complicated. And so based on those interviews, that gave us the drive to at least uh, go ahead and start creating like a MVP, essentially. And then so what we did was Mark uh, locked himself in a basement and and started coding uh, the first version. And then we essentially released, uh, you know, a very early version of the product. And then we started beta testing it with uh, some of those people. And we tried to figure out what were the actual crucial features that really needed to be included. And then based on that, we had kind of set personal deadline where once we added these features, we would go live with the product um, and create a a free and paid version of it. When you were doing these Skype interviews, you didn't have a product at the time. You were really, as you said, you were trying to figure out whether there was people had a similar pain to you and whether it was worth building the product. Do you think that made that conversation easier with these people because you didn't have anything to pitch and you could just 
spend the time just trying to figure out what their problems were? Yeah. So one of the best books, uh, I think, written about the whole concept of, of validation is, is a book called Lean Customer Development. And the biggest lesson that I took away from that book was that you never want to ask leading questions. And so normally what happens is people will either show them the product or they'll say, this is my idea. What do you think? And naturally, the person on the other end always says, yeah, that's a great idea. Or yeah, I would use that product because generally they don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, and so the the approach that that we kind of took was I asked them, you know, how are you currently doing X? You know, what tools are you currently using? And then I was trying to see if they identified themselves that they had a problem and, and or they identified themselves that they had pain points. So the Skype call wasn't, hey, here's what we're building and, and here's the product. What do you think of it? It was really geared towards finding out what they were currently doing, what their current process looks like, what their current pain points looked like, and using that as a, a way to feed into our product. Okay. Yeah, good. So that that makes sense. And, and that's the book by Cindy Alvarez. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So you've got some some good feedback. You've kind of identified that there's a problem. You've kind of narrowed down the scope of a product and Mark is working on building that and, and kind of getting it out there. Presumably, you were able to get some of those early beta testers from these conversations that you were having with people. But I'm kind of curious, like beyond that, when you try to get to your first hundred customers and sort of beyond, like, how did you do that? Beyond the beta, essentially what we did was we had continued to drive leads to Snappa from, from StockSnap. And so um, once we had a bit of a, an MVP product, we actually just had an open beta. So anyone could essentially use the product. Um, and it was completely free because it was pretty bare bones. And so, like I said, based on that open beta period, we started learning what was absolutely essential. So we, we had launched that open beta in July. So it took us another couple months to build out what we thought was, was the necessary feature. And then at the end of November, uh, we basically did a, a public launch and then we put up a, a paywall and separated both a free plan and a premium plan um, when we felt that we had enough to start charging for the product. Okay. And um, I, I know that SEO and, and sort of content marketing were kind of an important factor in in sort of driving growth of this business. And you did something interesting with creating some core pages that kind of helped to, to sort of attract traffic. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, what were they and, and sort of how did you come up with that idea? Yeah, so when we first launched the site, um, it was more or less just a homepage. Um, and what was kind of interesting was there's actually not a lot of search volume for graphic design tool or graphic design software. And so the homepage itself wasn't, really driving a a ton of organic searches. So once we started putting some of our uh, competitors into uh, Ahrefs, which is a SEO software that we used, we realized that they were ranking for terms based around the use cases of the software. 
So for example, um, with Snappa, you could create Twitter headers and there's a lot of search volume for Twitter header maker and Facebook cover maker and all the various use cases that our, that our software facilitates. And so what we did was we started building out all of these uh, site pages for all the various use cases that you can use uh, Snappa for. And that was a big win for us. And then in order to rank those pages, what, what worked pretty well was doing guest posting. So for example, if we wanted to drive some links to our Facebook cover site page, you know, we would write articles about, you know, five tips to make great Facebook covers or five tips for uh, marketing on Facebook. And then we would, you know, link back to these site pages. And so once we did that, we, we started generating quite a lot of traffic to these site pages, quite a lot more than, than our homepage. So if I've understood this correctly, when you just had the homepage, you were kind of effectively trying to rank for kind of words like online graphic design software or, or whatever, which in hindsight, not many people were actually looking for. But through the keyword research, you were able to kind of go, I guess, one or two levels deeper into say, okay, well, what do people actually use the product for? And okay, well, they use it to create graphics. Well, what kind of graphics? Okay, well, these, uh, you know, Twitter headers. Did that just come through keyword research again? Or was this based on looking at what your competitors were ranking for? Well, initially what happened is I, I kind of stumbled across this because I had put some of our competitors into Ahrefs to see what they're ranking for. Um, and that's when I kind of realized that they were setting up some of these site pages or ranking for some of these terms. So then what I did was I started thinking about all the different... So with Snappa, we basically have like templates and, and predefined sizes. So we have templates for Facebook cover photos and Twitter headers and YouTube thumbnails. And so I, you know, literally started going down the list of all the different templates and, and sizes that we offer, plugging that into Ahrefs to see what the search volume was, and then uh, building out all the site pages based around that. So for other SaaS founders, I think it's a great exercise to look at all the different use cases or, or, or problems that your software is solving, you know, put that into a, a you know, like an Ahrefs or an SEM rush or any type of keyword tool and see if people are actually uh, searching for that and then building out site pages that ranks for that rather than just your generic overall keyword that, that you're targeting on the, on the homepage. How many of these, um, kind of use case pages did you create? Uh, I think we have about 10 or a little over 10. Some of these page will generate, you know, like 20,000 hits per month or something like that. How long are they like, you know, in terms of like words, were these like very in-depth articles or? Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty in-depth. And I actually got a, because Writing copy is not one of my favorite things to do. So I actually hired a, a copywriter to uh, create these pages and he did a really good job. And the one thing too is if you know someone goes and looks at our site pages, they all have the exact same layout. The copy on each page is very similar. Obviously, the, the thing that ends up changing is the images on each page, uh, the title tags, the H1 tags, and naturally some of the, uh, the copy itself. 
But once we built out the first page, it was super easy to then add additional site pages. And in terms of the guest posts, you said you were kind of like taking like related content ideas, guest posting about those, and then making sure that you had at least one backlink in each one of those guest posts to the relevant kind of use case page. Yeah, because it's, it's really hard to build backlinks to commercial pages, um, at least based on my experience. And so I found the only really successful way to build backlinks to commercial pages is to do guest posting and then to link back to them. And even then, some people still <laughs> don't want you to do that. And so we found for us, that was the most predictable way that we could uh, generate backlinks to, to some of these site pages. How many guest posts did you do typically for each of these pages? So with these pages, it wasn't like super, super competitive because as you can imagine, there's, so many, there's only so many tools that are targeting or that you can use to create YouTube thumbnails and whatnot. So if I remember correctly, we tried to get at least about five links to, to each of these pages. Um, and that's usually all it took to be able to rank them at least within like the top five search results. And have you had to do anything to kind of keep that ranking or has it become less important now as the business has grown? Yeah, definitely as the the business has grown and, and we've just naturally generated you know, more backlinks uh, overall and, and have a, a higher uh, domain authority. Uh, we haven't had to do much with those site pages to, to keep our rankings. Have you done anything else apart from those use case pages? So another thing that, that worked really well for us is on this sort of related topic is we realized that a lot of people are searching for the different sizes for these graphics so there's a lot of search volume for things like Facebook cover size, YouTube thumbnail size, uh, Twitter header size. So for each of the the types of graphics, we kind of did the same thing where, you know, we plug those in Ahrefs and see how much uh, search results uh, they generated. And then we we built these really comprehensive blog posts about the Facebook cover size, Twitter header size, and those rank uh, really well for us. And naturally, you know, the people that are searching for the, the size of the Twitter header, there's a decent percentage of those that are looking to actually create Twitter headers. Um, and then so we kind of promote our, our tool within those blog posts. Yeah, I think I've probably done that at least once or twice every year when the, you know, the sizes keep changing. Lately, I think more and more you kind of see like Google kind of giving you kind of like these instant answers. So you can kind of type in like Twitter header size or something and, and it probably shows you the dimensions without you even having to click on a post uh, or a link. Although interestingly enough, I just tried that with Twitter header size and, and Snapper's post is still, I guess it's number two there. So I guess that's still working to some degree. Yeah, definitely. Like Twitter is a good example. You know, they tell you what the size is, but what they don't tell you is that the top and the bottom of, of your your header doesn't end up being visible because of the the uh, like the follower count and and that kind of stuff. And also, there's um, obviously a spot where your profile picture kind of uh, hangs over that. And so, a lot of people end up clicking on the articles because they also want to know like how can they optimize their their header image 
And that's kind of the type of information that we put in our blog post beyond just the, the one line of, of what the size is. What are you guys doing in terms of revenue at the moment? Uh, so right now we're doing over 45K uh, MRR per month. Okay. So that's over half a million a year. Are you making a profit? Yes, we are. We're, we're a pretty small team. And so, uh, yeah, it's a pretty profitable business. Okay. Um, I was looking at your pricing for Snapper and beyond the the free plan, you've kind of got like two plans there and one is $10 a month, which gives says here gives people access to over 500,000 HD photos and graphics and unlimited downloads. And then there's a team plan, which is, you know, 20 bucks a month and you've got five users there and again unlimited downloads on those 500,000 images how much are you having to pay in terms of royalties with these 500,000 graphics and then giving people unlimited downloads at 10 bucks a month it doesn't sound like there's a lot in terms of margin there yeah so for the photos uh we actually integrate with free stock photo providers you know, we're, we're really selective about the, the the partners that we work with. So they're, they're they're really high quality photos. And what we learned from our beta period was that even with, with people with Photoshop, for example, they found it such a pain to have to scour the various free stock photo sites and download them and then upload them into our software. So they get a lot of value, just the fact that we integrate directly with them. So it, it saves them that extra step and that extra hassle of having to scour all these different sites for these photos. And we also allow them to favorite their favorite photos and stuff like that. So it also saves them from having to save their their favorite photos and folders and stuff like that. The graphics one we do pay royalties for, but it, it's a flat fee. And so it, it doesn't really uh, cut into our margins too much. So with the photos, like what's the incentive for those providers to partner with you and make these photos available if they're not generating any revenue from them? Yeah, sorry. The, so the photos, we also pay a, a, like a monthly fee to use our API. So for both the photos and the graphics, we, we're essentially paid to use our API, uh, but it's a flat monthly fee as opposed to like a royalty per photo or per graphic. So when you factor in the amount of customers that we have, it, it ends up being... Uh, pretty high margin for us. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Uh, I often hear that it's really difficult, if not impossible, to kind of build a SaaS business, particularly a profitable one, if you're only charging people 10 or 20 bucks a month. What do you say to that? (laughs) I say they're right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just going back a little bit, you know, we originally had this this idea for Snappa. We knew that unless we we could generate a significant amount of traffic, it wasn't going to be profitable unless we can do that. And so that's why we built uh, StockSnap because we knew that if if that site was successful, it would give us enough traffic in the beginning to at least make some meaningful amount of revenue. And so. To the people who say, is, is it impossible to make a profitable business? Of course, the answer is it is if you don't have enough traffic. And so for us, you know, we've been fortunate in that we've been able to generate a significant amount of traffic 
through SEO and, and these organic sources that we have been able to, to make it into uh, you know, a profitable business for the size of our team. Now, if you were to start a CRM tool and you're charging five bucks a month, I'd say that's probably not uh, going to work out very well. I'm curious, have you tested higher pricing? Like the team plan for five people at 20 bucks a month seems like a little too cheap to me. Have you tried testing higher pricing? It's been on my list of things to test for a long time now. Just pricing is one of those things that's always tricky to test. Uh, but I think at some point, well, we probably uh, will have to do that. So one caveat with with the pricing is um, the ten and twenty dollars is is on a on annual plans. So on a monthly basis, we charge uh, fifteen to thirty dollars a month, depending on the plan. Which again isn't still a huge amount of money, but it on a percentage term, it it is a bit more than than the yearly plans. Yeah, what's the size of your team? Uh, so we have uh, four employees and then one contractor. Okay. And kind of while I was doing research on you, it's kind of interesting to kind of talk about these these other businesses that you had worked on. And, and the reason I, I kind of wanted to spend some time at the beginning was because I thought it was relevant to telling the story of Snapper and also some failures and you know successes you had along the way and, and sort of the lessons you learned from that. But I thought kind of, okay, at this point, you know, you kind of had either sold those businesses or kind of shut them down and were kind of focused on Snapper. And then I came across a business called StockFox. <laughs> and I thought, is he working on another business as well at the same time? So are you? <laughs> uh, so StockFox is essentially going to be a side project, at least in the beginning. And then we'll we'll see what happens from there. Uh, but it, it is something we're kind of working out on, on the side at the moment. What does your typical day look like? Because I'm always curious when people are kind of like working on multiple things or have, you know, multiple plates in the air, at least for a certain period of time. I'm kind of always curious about like, how do you do that? And, and how do you kind of stop yourself from kind of going crazy? So for the first two years of Snappa, I mean, I was really head down, like, the entire time. And so I was doing like when we first launched, it was just Mark and I. So I was doing all the support. I was doing all the marketing, uh, basically everything that wasn't coding. Um, our first hire was a developer. So again, I was basically doing everything that wasn't coding. And so for the first two years, my day to day was essentially answering customer support writing blog articles, building backlinks, landing guest post opportunities, prioritizing feature requests, essentially everything. And then once I hired Nick, who's now handling marketing and support, I wasn't as much involved in the the complete day-to-day. And then I was, uh, you know, focused a bit more on the strategy and I was able to delegate a bit more of of the day-to-day type stuff. And so, you know, now three years later, Michael, who's our developer, and and Nick, who's who's handling marketing support, they're doing a, a really fantastic job of continuing to do what what's still working, um, as well as you know finding new initiatives for growth. And so, Mark and my time has freed up a little bit in recent months, 
And like with any entrepreneur, you you're always thinking of, you know, what you want to do next. And for us, one of my biggest passions is investing and and the stock part market. Um, You know, it's something I spend a lot of my personal time on. So StockFox is essentially the kind of product that we wish existed. And so uh, we want to put it out as a side project and, and just see what happens. Interesting. Watch this space. Um, and you didn't raise any money for Snapper. Has it been totally bootstrapped? Yeah, Snapper is uh, completely bootstrapped, yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, let's, it's time to wrap up. So let's get on to our lightning round. I'm going to ask you seven questions. Uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I think the best business advice that I've received was the idea of validating your your business before starting. At a bare minimum, just having some sort of idea of how to get customers. uh, I think that's super important. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? So one book which I've talked about already was Lean Customer Development and think covered uh, why. Uh, Another one that I think is really great in terms of being actual is Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Maris, because I think it's it's a really good book for developing a growth mindset and and understanding all the different channels uh, that are uh, available to you. Gabriel's been on the show and uh, he was a great guest. And also, yeah, I love that book. Uh, What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think the most important thing is someone who's resourceful and uh, someone who's willing to do whatever it takes uh, to succeed. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? My favorite tool is Trello. And my favorite habit is planning out the three tasks uh, that I want to get done for the next day. So when I fire up my laptop in the morning, I know exactly what I'm what I'm working on. Uh, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? And you don't have to answer this because we already talked about StockFox. If that's the <laughs> that would be the answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I started DJing while I was in university and I did that for about seven years. Cool. And uh, finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Other than investing, uh, definitely big into travel. Yeah, I, I, that kind of circles back to the beginning, I think, because I think I read that you uh, you were kind of happy in a nine to five until you, you did some traveling to Asia and then kind of had a different perspective and outlook to life. And that's kind of maybe how you started on this journey. Yeah, uh, just having the freedom to travel more was, was one of my uh, biggest uh, motivators for starting a business. Cool. Chris, uh, thanks for uh, joining me and taking the time to, to share your story and, and some of the things that, that you and, and Mark have done to build and, and grow this SaaS business. If people want to find out more about Snapper, they can go to snapper.com, S-N-A-P-P-A.com. Uh, and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I have a Twitter account, although I'm not super active. It's Gimmer. And if someone wants to reach me directly, uh, my email is Christopher at snappa.com. Awesome. And uh, one thing I didn't get a chance to talk to you about was there was a, a post I came across that you'd written on how you guys ended up paying $40,000 to acquire that domain, snappa.com. Yes. Uh, I thought that was kind of a, a, a fun read. So I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well when we, we publish the episode. Cool. 
Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for uh, joining me, and uh, I wish you and the team at Snap all the best. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was fun. Awesome. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.